The purple one. This one? Closer to the light. Is it blinding you? Oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> Always stop and smell the giant flowers. That's what we were doing there. So <laughs> wasn't quite what I had in mind for an introduction, but hey, uh, <laughs> it's all right. As we get started this morning, um, I need to give you a bit of an overview. So in the book of John, which we preached through from January until last Sunday, I kind of gave you this, like just kind of skipping a rock across the book of John. Well, now we're going to go to the complete other spectrum on that. And for the whole month, we're focusing on Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. So, yeah, we're, we're going a little deeper. Uh, so, so get ready, strap yourselves in. But in order to do that, I need to start off with a little bit of an overview on the book of Acts so that we can all be on the same page. I'm going to make some, some, excuse me, some references and things like that. And I just want to make sure that we're all there. So I need you to, I want to encourage you all as well to... Read through the book of Acts, if you will, this month. Um, we're going to camp out, like I said, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. But there are things that we need to know about that happened before and after these verses, just so we can kind of make sure we're keeping things in context. Uh, so you have a little bit of homework to do. You have to read Acts, uh, which is a great book. And let me start off by saying this. The good news of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped. It, it began with a fledgling band of disciples. And, and they were messed up. They were scared. They were broken. They'd made mistakes. Uh, and, and so it, that's how it began with this group of disciples that were just not all there sometimes. And this transforming message of hope that was offered by Jesus would spread from Jerusalem to Rome in less than 35 years after his resurrection. You see, the leaders of Jesus' day thought that his death would stamp out his claims forever, but in God-sized irony, Jesus' death only fueled the spread of this message because he did not remain dead, but he defeated death through his glorious resurrection. And we just celebrated that. And that's what brings us into the book of Acts. The resurrected Christ forever changed those who witnessed these events in his life. They trusted that he would send them his spirit. That's what he told them. I will send another. And they trusted they would, that he would send his spirit to empower them for the mission of spreading the gospel. That's the mission that he set out for them. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit came in might and power upon those men, and the church was established. Peter's sermon, following the sending of the Holy Spirit, made it undeniably clear that this miracle was a fulfillment of God's promises. It further validated the claims that Jesus made that he is God's Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world, and then Luke, here in the book of Acts, provides Theophilus. That's who he actually writes this letter to. Uh, he provides Theophilus and all other readers with a glimpse into the culture of this young church. And those who trusted Jesus gathered together. The Bible tells us that, that they gathered in teaching, in singing, in worship, in prayer, in fellowship. That they shared life. They shared their meals together. By the power of God, many of them, many people placed their faith in Jesus Christ and they were added to the church. Now it's true, the church would never permanently escape the fires of persecution. But through this opposition, through persecution itself, the church would continue to spread and grow across the nations. For example, in Acts chapter 8, the stoning of Stephen is actually an event that took place that actually scattered the believers throughout the known world of that day. And, and as they went, God's word went with them. God's spirit went with them. The good news of Jesus, 
These displaced believers started churches everywhere that they scattered to. They took Jesus with them to their neighbors. They invited their neighbors of these new cities where they, where they moved in. They found themselves in this place. And, and while they're there, they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And they shared it with everybody. A primary catalyst for the spread of the gospel, in my humble opinion, was the conversion of Saul. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. He had all the paperwork he needed to put him in jail, to kill him, to do whatever he felt was right. And he met the Lord. He was a persecutor of the church. You can read about him in Acts chapter 9. And spoiler alert, God reveals himself in a blinding way to Paul, well, to Saul. And then he became Paul. And his mission, God told him, you will suffer for me. And that was his mission work. And it was focused on the Gentiles. And, and, it's, and Paul's missions are central to the latter parts of Luke's writing here in the book of Acts. Luke describes Paul's three chief missionary journeys. He, he describes his labor among the church. He describes the countless, the dangers, the obstacles, the things that he faced for the gospel. And through it all, God continued to show himself faithful. Not only to his people, but to the promise that he made to build his church and to use his people in that mission. So what was the mission? What could really, what could just rally people like this to take a message everywhere they went and to tell it to everyone they met, regardless of the consequences? Especially those, those, those 11, those apostles went with the message and they didn't care about the consequences. We find the answer to that question in Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. As you turn there, I want to say this. Christians today, and this is loosely speaking, okay, so I don't want you to go like, I never said that, you're wrong. It's just in conversation. Christians today are very quick to say things about the corporate church, if you will. Okay, that would be us here where they where they building and a property and 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 doing work in the community. And and Christians are real quick to say things about the corporate church. They, I, I, I use that and you'll understand here in a second. I've had conversations with folks and, and maybe some of you have had similar conversations where someone points out, well, you know, the early church, they did it right. We're we're messing it up by, by having a, a corporate church, by everybody coming to a building. We should be more like the early church. I say, I agree. We should. We should be more like the early Christians. We should desire to hear and learn God's word the way they did. We should desire to have a fellowship with one another the way that they did. We should desire to pray more with one another the way that the early church prayed. I think the early church is a great example of how we should care for one another as their needs are, are, are presented and how we all have a part to play in sharing the gospel message. About the time where people start shutting down as I'm agreeing with their statement is when I say, and I agree that just like the early church, we should come to church every day. It says that. It says they met in the temple. They fellowshiped in the temple. Every day they would come to the temple first. And I'm like, yeah, we need to come to church every day. And they were like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not saying that. Well, yeah, because you're not coming on Sunday. See, they're not here. They don't know I said that about them. Uh, but, but that's the case. We want to we do something different than what we have. The early church was in church every day. Not just in the temple, but when they left the temple and went about their daily business, church went with them. When they were at work, they weren't talking about sports and they weren't talking about what was going on maybe at the Colosseum. Maybe they were, I don't know. But they were also talking about, by the way, Jesus loves you. 
Well, how do you know? Well, because Paul told me. And Paul saw him. And, and or, yeah, Paul, Paul met him on the road to Damascus. Crazy story. They, they shared. Every day they shared. They didn't just share on Sunday when they left church and went to the restaurant and wrote a little note on their, on their uh, receipt to the waitress, Jesus loves you, here's a $2 tip. See, they didn't just share then. They shared generously and they shared every day. And they didn't just share their words, they shared their actions. They shared their homes, they shared their food, they shared their crops, they shared everything about what they had. So yeah, come on, early church, who's in? That means there's one. Matt and I, we're in. Nobody else? That means I come into your house anytime and I need to sleep. No questions asked. I knock on the door. Hey, I'm traveling through. You don't even know me. Which, by the way, Dean and Genevieve aren't here. Man. Oh, there they are. I see you now. These guys. Can I, I'm going to brag about you for a second. Okay? Talk about early church. There's a couple that lives that early church thing. All right? They, they ride motorcycles, and they're, they're in a network of people that if you're riding a motorcycle through Alabama and you need a place to stay, you can call her. And if you've never even met these folks, they're like, well, yeah, come stay at our house. And some of you are going, what is wrong with you? You can't just let people do that. How long have you been doing that? There you go. Right there. Yeah, that's, that's this. Someone has a need or you need a place to stay, we have a room. We have a garage for your motorcycle. We have a breakfast for you. And we send you on your way the next day. That's what the early church did. So Matt, you, me, Dean, and Genevieve, we got that. Because I know they're all in. <laughs> I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to know, we, we say these things not really knowing what the early church was really getting into. Uh, so anyway, um, we all have a part to play in sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you that when people come into Dean and Genevieve's house, they're seeing it in action. They may not be getting a sermon while they're having breakfast, but they're seeing the gospel played out. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and realize this is after Peter's message where 3,000 were added to the number. And, and Peter said to them, basically, he said, go to win, commit to grow. Um, that's my version of what Peter said as they went. Uh, and I can back that up by Acts 42 through 47. Here we go. Acts 2, 42 through 47. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. They have everyone's undivided attention. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. That doesn't mean that they didn't have a disagreement. It means they had all a substantial, all foundational things in common. They didn't all like the color blue, and that's okay. Not all of them looked good in purple, all right? It's okay. But they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. See that? You thought I was just making that up. Day by day, they went to church together, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. When was the last time you received your food with glad and generous hearts? Usually it's, God is great, God is good, and we thank you for this food. Amen, let's eat, I'm starving. When was the last time? Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were planted in the apostles' teachings. They were planted in prayer. They were planted in fellowship. They were planted in eating together. And they not only grew, but they bloomed. Okay? And I believe that in order for us to not just grow, but to bloom, and and let me put a little quantifier in here, to grow spiritually is what I'm talking about. Then we need to focus on the same things that the early church focused on. You see, there's a difference between growing older and growing up. I know, I've been fighting growing up for years. There's a difference between growing in, in biblical knowledge and growing spiritually. And so just to be clear, when I say the word bloom, when I say that we need to bloom, I'm talking about spiritual growth, not numerical growth, not physical growth. Because if we aren't blooming, if we aren't spiritually growing, then, then I don't think, if, let me put it this way, if we're not doing our part to spiritually grow, then, then really what we're doing is, is we are slowly crippling the kingdom of God. doesn't mean that he's not going to be glorified by someone else. But if as Christians, we are not doing our part to bloom, we're a stumbling block. I believe the biggest stumbling block for the church today is a lack of spiritual growth. We've gotten to this place corporately, and I don't mean Huntsville Christian, I mean the church throughout the United States, throughout the world. We've got to this place corporately where we've just equated longtime church membership with spiritual maturity. But the early church, they didn't do that. In the early church, you you showed who you were. The fruit was evident in your life. After the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were added to the number. And those people, they were not accepting of the status quo, if you will. They weren't getting to the temple so they could get their favorite seat. They were getting to the temple so that they could be reminded of the apostles' teaching. They were getting to the temple so they could pray with one another. They began blooming right of way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that even mean? What did the apostles teach? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching even still today? As I looked into this, I found that, surprisingly enough, the apostles' teaching was pretty simple. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus. They were eyewitnesses of his life. They were eyewitnesses of his death. They were eyewitnesses of his burial. They were eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And they were eyewitnesses of Jesus after his resurrection. And their teaching was simple. They taught that this man, Jesus, was raised up by the power of God after human men put him to death. They taught that, they shared that they were witnesses of it. And they explained that not only did God raise him up, but that Jesus was exalted at the right hand of God. And that they received from God the promise of the Holy Spirit. They explained that that the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And that whenever they healed someone, whenever they did something really awesome, it was through his power. Because they wanted the early church to know for certain that God has made both Jesus, had made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. And they continued to teach this message. And they challenged everyone who heard it. They didn't just teach it, but they challenged everyone who heard it. They said, hey... This is the end of the message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my favorite part. As if that wasn't good enough. 
And you guys know me. I have favorite parts and everything. And my family says I have too many favorite parts. But here's my favorite part. It says, you be baptized, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But then they're reminded, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. See, the teaching wasn't just Christ and him crucified and raised from the dead and forgiveness of our sins. But it was that, hey, this is for you. It's for your kids. It's for your grandkids. It's for your generations that are going to follow you that aren't even here yet. Man, that's good news. And that's what they, that's what they grew on. And the Bible tells us those who received this word were baptized. And Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to this teaching that I just shared with you. And because they, they did that, because they were devoted to this teaching, among a few other things, and we're going to get into the other things in the next few weeks, but they were, they were devoted to their teaching. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They bloomed. They didn't just grow. They blossomed. A reflection of his glory. There are some plants. I was trying to look up the names of them, but I couldn't spell them. There's a, there's a plant in China, and it only blooms at night. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful blooms. And by morning, it's dead. And think, well, that's really sad. There, there are some other plants out in the desert that only bloom like every 12 years. And so they grow and they grow and they bloom. And, it, and it's, it's kind of gross because one of them, it grows like this really huge petal, right? Like this big, it almost looks like a big giant vase. But as soon as it blooms, it starts to stink like rotting flesh. And it's got this really weird name that I can't pronounce. But to look at this flower, it's like orange and yellow and it's really beautiful. But then you're like, ooh. My point for bringing that up is that smelly things can bloom too. You see what I'm saying, right? We can come in here and we can look all nice. I can get it all together. I look good on a Sunday. I'm blooming. Sometimes. That right there is what we call a pot calling the kettle black. We walk out of here and sometimes we stink just as bad as that. I'm thinking, no, it's probably a good thing that flower only blooms once every 12 years. That thing bloomed every year. You couldn't go to the desert. Be like, oh, no way. The point is, there's a difference between growing, spiritually growing. This looks really pretty. It's not going to make it. These aren't rooted in anything. If you want to make it, if you want to bloom, you need to be rooted in the foundational teachings of the apostles. You see, we need to be rooted in this teaching because if we're rooted in this teaching, I believe that the Lord will add to our number those who are being saved. Not those who are coming in the door. Not those who are giving more in their offering. Those who are being saved. And His kingdom is bigger than this place right here. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you this. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that right here in this room, right now in this room, right now, look around. Everybody look around real quick. Look at each other. All right? Because I believe this. In this room right now, I believe that we have the exact number of people 
that are needed to change the spiritual countenance of our community, our state, and our world. I believe that. The question is, do we have the desire? I believe we have what we need as far as the people, but do we have the desire? We have the ability. I know we have the ability because I have heard every one of you talk about the things that excite you. I've heard every one of you talk about the things that that you are um, just, just pumped up about, passionate about. Music. Auburn and Alabama. Nobody wants to say those War Eagle Roll Tide things because now they just fell into my illustration chap. But they thank you. We, and I'll talk to you about motorcycles all day long. Some of you will talk about baking and cooking and gardening and, and nerd stuff, computers and things like that. I don't even understand. Some of you will just talk about numbers for days like they mean something, like it's a language. And you go, oh, it's great. It's the things we have the ability. Do we have the desire? Every week I say to you guys, now it's time to go to win and commit to grow. Are you willing to commit yourself to spiritual growth, to the spiritual growth that's needed? Learning and understanding the apostles' teaching. Are you, are you then willing to be like the early Christians and go and share the apostles' teaching with everyone you come into contact with daily? It's not a hard teaching. This is why it's a favorite thing. Because the Bible doesn't say, get your theology straight and go tell somebody, about Jesus. It doesn't say go get a bachelor's degree or go to seminary or go to, um, uh, to wherever else you go to. Uh, Masters of Divinity, one of those places. Thank you. It doesn't say go do all that. They say, hey, here's the gospel. Here's what Jesus did in your life. Here's what he did for us. Go tell somebody. He loves you enough. Our God loves you. And he loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. Jesus loves you enough that he submitted to this plan. He agreed to it. He did it so that we could be free from the bondage of sin. Do you love them enough, God and Jesus, to share the apostles' teaching with someone else? Nobody cares how much you know about the book of Revelation or James or Deuteronomy or Genesis chapter 50. Read it. Long and it's like, oh man, Genesis chapter 50. The ones who've read it are giggling because you know what I'm talking about. It's simple. Go and share what the apostles shared. You sharing that message in our community could be the difference between someone's spiritual death and their eternal full bloom growth in Christ. You may be thinking, well, how, how do I know what to say? I, I don't know what to say. What if I say the wrong things? Listen to what John says in John in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And he's talking about testing the spirits. And he's talking about how we can know that, that we're saying the right things when it comes to the good news of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard has, was coming and now is in the world already. Verse 4 says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. 
For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Verse 6, this is it right here. This is what John says. We are from God. He's talking about the apostles. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Wow. John doesn't mince words here. He doesn't hold back. He's coming out strong. He says he makes three important doctrinal points in verse 6. First off, he's talking, he says, we are from God. He's saying, hey, the apostles, we are from God. The apostles were from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Hearing the teaching of the apostles was equal to hearing from God. The difference between truth and error is established. If, you're gonna, if you want to know what to teach, you want to know what to share with somebody, teach what the apostles taught. Share what the apostles shared. What they taught is truth. To teach anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified for our sins and resurrection, preparing a place for us, is error. I know this. I will make a lot of mistakes in my lifetime. Matter of fact, I promise you this. Myself and Andy and the elders and the deacons and the board at Huntsville Christian Church, we will make a lot of mistakes in the time that we serve together here. But I promise you this. We will not err in this teaching. We will teach what the apostles taught. We will teach the truth of God's word. We will do it unapologetically. There are many ways to share something. I will use many different illustrations and stories and and flower umbrellas and paintings and all kinds of stuff to get your attention and to, to get something to click every time you see a flower in the next six months, especially when it blooms, because we're going to see that little video play. And I love that video where those little flowers are just pink, 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 and they're just blooming. And you're going to walk through Lowe's and you're going to be like, fossil's teaching. Yeah. I need to, need to be sharing that with some. Hey, Lowe's person, did you know this little flower right here? It blooms. And the early church bloomed because they followed what the apostles taught. What they teach? They taught that Jesus loves you. They taught that, that God sent his son to die for you for your sins. All because of a stupid flower. That's my goal. That because of a flower, this message is going to be locked into your brain and locked into your heart. And as we get into this stuff and what they did, you're going to walk around our community and you're going to have no other option but to bloom. We will teach the truth of God's word. We'll do all kinds of illustrations, but I promise you, I will never water down the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's the... It doesn't need water to grow. The flowers do. (laughs) HCC has been in this community for over 50 years. This church began by meeting together in a house and then went from a house to a little storefront, from a storefront to other places. And I think we've had three or four locations in this community in just over 50 years. But it began by teaching what the apostles taught. The life of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. That this man Jesus was raised up by the power of God and that our salvation comes from hearing this good news, believing it, confessing Jesus as our, as our Lord and Savior and by submitting to him in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to be faithful until death by blooming and growing in his word and in our spiritual maturity. That's how this church started over 50 years ago. That's how we're going to continue 
But as we come to our response time this morning, the apostles' message has been shared with you. And like them, on the day of Pentecost, you also have a choice to make. Peter shared that message, and people said, well, what should we do? Will you allow the truth of God's word to shape your life? Will you ask the question, what must we do to be saved? Because the answer is simple. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've done that, but somewhere along the line, you forgot what the apostles taught and, and you, you haven't really been blooming. You've kind of been, maybe you've rooted in somewhere, but you haven't really been blooming, you're growing. And you want to get back on the right track. You want to get set in their teaching. You want to get back on the right path. You want to do what God's called you to do. Maybe you just need to take a moment and have the elders pray with you and start some accountability in your life so that you can be a reflection of Christ. Our elders are here. They'd love to pray with you. Whatever your response is to God's word this morning, will you stand and sing our response song and respond accordingly?